welcome to the Disco Tech Podcast. Today, we're excited to welcome Mark O'Connell to the show. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to take a moment and introduce everyone. I'm Marcy. Um, today, we have Rachel. Hi. And Lewis. Hello. So, Mark, we've been doing a series of shows on Deep Space Nine as I'm watching the show for the first time. Uh-huh. And yeah, um, it's been fun because it's kind of in the culture of Star Trek, but I haven't seen them before. So it's been really interesting. Um, one of my favorite episodes so far is Meridian. And I found out that you wrote the teleplay. Mm-hmm. That's right. What was it like writing for Star Trek? Oh, it was wonderful. It, it was it was a fantastic experience. I was very, very lucky to get my foot in the door. When I was just starting out as a writer, I, I had an agent, but uh, Star Trek Next Generation had this really amazing policy. Um, usually a TV show, TV producers will only look at uh, scripts that have been submitted by writer's agents. Well, Michael Piller, the showrunner of Next Generation, was smart enough to know that he had a lot of really um, smart, imaginative, and talented fans, and he instituted a policy where they would accept scripts from anyone, whether you had an agent or not. Oh wow! That was pretty amazing. I don't, I don't know if any show does that now. I don't, not that I know of. Um, but so, even though I had an agent, I wouldn't have needed an agent. My script, I wrote a spec script, submitted it to the show. It caught somebody's eye, caught one of the producer's eyes, and they invited me to come in and pitch story ideas. So that's kind of how it all got started. Wow. So you were a fan going mm-hmm. into it. Wow. Yeah. I, I was a, I've been a Star Trek fan since I was six years old when the original show debuted 55 years ago. So now you know my age. And I still remember when the original show premiered, it was on Thursday nights on NBC and it, the show was just late enough. It, they ran the show just late enough that it interfered with my bedtime because it was <laughs> because that was a school night. And so, you know, I had to get to bed early on school nights and I can remember begging and pleading with my parents to please, please let me stay up on just on Thursday nights, just so I can see this awesome new science fiction show. That's great. And I think I must have won the fight at least some of the time because because I know I watched a lot of episodes then. What kind of direction? So since I'm going through Deep Space Nine now, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of direction were you given for the episode that you wrote, both the story and the teleplay, Second Sight versus uh, Meridian? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Well, Second Sight, I got a lot of input from the producers because it was my first script. Um, and, you know, they were naturally, um, I guess you could say naturally cautious with me. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure that I did a good job and they wanted to make sure that I wasn't overwhelmed by it. What The, the way this all took place was after they bought the pitch, which basically meant that I was on the phone with one of the producers and I pitched the story for Second Sight along with several other stories. They, they liked that story. They hired me to write the story. So first of all, they hire you to write the story. And I did that from my home in Wisconsin. Uh, basically you write maybe a five or six page document, maybe a little longer. Just basically a story treatment, just explaining, you've already sold them on your idea. Now you have to prove to them 
that there's a story in that idea. You have to prove that there's 60 minutes worth of good story mm-hmm. in your idea. So I wrote the story for Second Sight, submitted that. They were happy with it. And they brought me out to LA for, I think it was about a week. And I spent that week sitting in the writer's room with the producers and the writers of the show. Um, and we put together a beat outline. So they have an intern with a huge dry erase board up on the wall. And we just bang out the storyline scene by scene, beat by beat. So we start out with, okay, the teaser. Mm-hmm. Where are we in this first scene? Which characters are present? What are they doing? What are they talking about? What's, what's happening in, this, in the shot, in the scene? And we do that for every scene of the show. And it literally can take a week to get all of that down for a, for a five-act show. So, yeah, so for Second Sight, again, since it was my first sale and my first full script, they, they, they took very, very good care of me, and they gave me lots of notes and gave me lots of guidance. It was a little different with Meridian. It, it was kind of an unusual situation. The, the story for Meridian had been pitched by um, someone who was a previous intern on the show, and they bought the story from her. Had this story about it appears only once every 60 years or 100 years. I can't remember what the time interval was. And Deep Space Nine, the crew of Deep Space Nine, just happens to discover this planet during the brief time that it's, that it's uh, um, visible and real in our, in our dimension, in our space. And um, the tr- what was tricky about the story was... The, the, the crux of the, of the story was that Jadzia Dax falls in love with someone on this planet mm-hmm. and decides to leave Deep Space Nine and join this man she loves on the planet when it disappears from our universe, which means we are never, ever going to see Dax again. Yeah. She hasn't just gone away to another planet. She is in a different universe now once this planet disappears. But of course, we all know Dax isn't really going to leave. And that's what was so tricky about the story. It became a problem of how do we get it to seem as though it's really going to happen? Dax is really going to leave with this guy. How How do we make that convincing enough that the audience will go along with it and then be surprised and disappointed and saddened when it doesn't work out in the end? And mm-hmm. that's that may sound really simple, but but as the writer, it was it was a real challenge, I have to say, because it's I sort you know, I sort of felt like I was, especially for the last act or so, just sort of st- stringing the audience along, waiting until the last possible moment in the script to pull that final switcheroo in the hopes that it would surprise some people. So so that script, they pretty much left me on my own because, like I said, none of the producers on staff really had any idea what to do with the story. So they just kind of <laughs> handed it to me and said, well, do your best. I love that. Yeah. That was one of my favorites so far in the three seasons that I've watched. And I, I think it is what you were saying that it was believable. And it, for me, it was the goodbyes when she was telling everybody goodbye and you could see those relationships and that she was willing to let them go. But I was just really impressed that, in 60 minutes, I totally bought into this love story between Jadzia and the scientist on the planet. Um, and it just seems like it had to have been challenging to create a believable love story in that amount of screen time. 
I am I I'm so grateful to you for saying that because that that was the challenge with the script. We had to make I had to make the romance, I had to make the love story real enough and genuine enough that the that the final act would re really have an emotional punch to it. So I, I really appreciate you saying that because that means I must have done it right. And, you know, you, you don't always feel that way after you do a script. Definitely. Uh, Lewis, did you, um, you had some questions? Yes. Uh, did you work on set at all or have the chance to meet the cast or Jonathan Frakes? Uh, I saw that he directed Meridian. I did not have a chance to meet any of the cast. I'm sorry to say. Oh. I had forgotten that Jonathan Frakes directed that. I have yeah. I, I haven't even watched that episode for very long for a very long time. And I think I'll have to watch it again now that we're talking about it. Um, yeah. no, I never got to go on uh, I never I should let me clarify. I got to go on set um, once or twice, and that was always fun. Um, the promenade set was really really wonderful. So I got to walk around on the promenade set a little while, one of the times I was working for them. Um, but no, never got a chance yeah. to meet any of the cast members, which was disappointing that I couldn't meet the cast members because there's a teeny, teeny, tiny chance that Terry Farrell and I are distant relatives. And it would have been, it would have been really fun to meet her <laughs> and compare family histories to see if there was some connection in our past. Because she's originally from Northeastern Iowa and my paternal grandparents, my paternal grandmother's last name was Farrell. And she is also from Northeastern Iowa. Um, and it was a huge, huge family. There were lots and lots of Farrells, as I understand it, in that part of Iowa. So it's there's a chance that uh, Terry Farrell and I are like distant cousins, you distant know. Distant cousins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought that was kind of cool. Meridian was ahead of his time predicting the deepfake technology we see today. Do you ever think about how technology you wrote about in the 90s is slowly becoming reality? Oh, yeah, that's really fun. Um, at the same time, though, one reason I like your question is because there are there are t times writing these scripts when you have to you literally have to create some new kind of scientific idea or scientific concept in order in order to tell the story. Yeah, I'm just thinking about in Second Sight, my first episode, when we first meet the terraformer Gideon Sayetic, he's inside he's inside some chamber. Um, on Deep Space Nine, where he's surrounded by just intense flashes of energy, and it's described as the flux chamber. There's no such thing as a flux chamber. I just made it up because I thought it sounded neat, and I thought it would be kind of an original, um, interesting way to create, to introduce this character whose personality is larger than life. Yeah. Why not have him standing inside this chamber that no sane person would step into, and have him just sort of reveling in being surrounded by all this unleashed power. So the flex chamber came out of that. Nobody had ever heard of it before, but they left it in the script, which I was really <laughs> grateful for. Um, but yeah, Star Trek has always been like that. You know, the communicators, we basically have communicators with us now, mm -hmm. just yeah. like they had in the original series. I love that. It's, it's fun to know that... Um, you know, even, even in a minor episode that you may work on, 
even you know even even in the most like forgettable episode of star trek <laughs> you're still creating future history and that's mm -hmm. really really fun I, I can't tell you how fun that is yeah i can imagine that's that's really cool uh rachel I was, I've always wondered about Meridian specifically. I'm a big musical fan and I've always wondered if like the reference that to me, it always seemed to be like uh, a lot like Brigadoon. And I've always wondered if that was like on purpose mm -hmm. or kind of coincidental. Oh, absolutely. That was absolutely on purpose. It's, it's a tried and true formula in TV writing to derive a, a science fiction st story idea out of an existing work such as a musical like Brigadoon when I pitched the when I pitched the story for who mourns for mourn which is my personal favorite I literally pitched it as Citizen Kane in outer That's space really fun. because the whole idea of who mourns for mourn was um you you all remember mourn and his big hippopotamus <laughs> looking face they had they had been trying to make a do a do a mourn story for season after season and they had countless writers like me come in and pitch mourn stories and they never worked because the story always involved mourn talking well i had worked with these guys long enough to know that that was never going to happen first of all in order for mourn to speak on camera they would have to create an entirely new facial appliance with an articulated jaw oh i never thought about so he that. could speak and I knew they would never do that because that would cost money. And also they would then, they would have to pay the actor, Mark Shepard. They would have to pay him more to recite dialogue. And, and if there's one thing Paramount did not want, it was added expenditures on the budget for the episode. So I knew they would never go for a Morn story in which Morn spoke. So my solution was the story begins with us finding out that Morn has died. So just like in Citizen Kane, in my story, Morn died with surrounded by all this mystery. After he's passed away, everybody on Deep Space Nine realizes, wow, you know, I, I never really knew him. I never really knew him. I don't really know anything about him. And so they start digging into Morn's past. And in my original story, they discover that Morn is like this galactic emperor who has abdicated the throne. And uh, I, I just had a lot of fun with that story idea. But for me, like I say, it was basically Citizen Kane, sort of sort of piecing together this character's history after he's died. I mean, that's a great way to get inspiration for things. It is. And like I said, it's done all the time. So <laughs> I, I feel no shame in it, especially because once I started developing the script with the staff, they said, OK, we love this story, but we're going to change it. Instead of Citizen Kane in outer space, it's going to be Charade in outer space. Oh, it kind of mm. is charade. It totally yeah. is charade. The way we ended up doing it, it's totally charade. So for your listeners who aren't familiar with that, that movie, uh, it's a Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn uh, heist movie in which uh, Audrey Hepburn's husband dies at the very beginning of the movie. And as soon as he dies, all of these shady characters start showing up in Audrey Hepburn's life, being very evil and threatening with her. The upshot is she finds out that her husband was actually uh, head of a, a criminal gang and they had just pulled off a huge heist and her dead husband was the only one in the gang who knew where the loot was hidden. 
So all the rest of the gang started started um, threatening Audrey Hepburn, trying to find out where the where the loot was hidden. So that was that was the story we went with with Who Mourns for Mourn. And honestly, I think it works just as well as Charade as it would have. <laughs> As Citizen Kane, maybe, maybe better even. I don't know. Now I want to wa- rewatch Charade. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, it's too. worth yeah. it's worth rewatching. Definitely, it's a fun movie. Uh, yeah. Um, another uh, question we had is: we saw that you're doing a lot of writing about UFOs now, and we were curious: do you ever think we'll see like mm-hmm. aliens, like those kind of aliens depicted on Star Trek? Well. I kind of think that if we do, if we do eventually encounter real aliens, you know, and that, and I'm, and I'm all inclusive, they could be aliens from another planet, they could be aliens from another dimension, they could be aliens mm-hmm. from another time. <laughs> I sort of group all of those <laughs> together as equal possibilities. Um, but I, I think, I think if we do meet aliens like that, I doubt that they'll look a whole lot like us or like anybody on Star Trek. That makes sense. Um, you know, you know, stay, we all know Star Trek, Star Trek is pretty consistent with their alien makeup. They put a <laughs> bunch of bumps on people's foreheads and cheeks and, and, you know, and that's, and they've, they've created a new alien species. I'm not knocking it. It works. Sure. Um, but, I, but yeah, I wouldn't expect if we met real aliens, I wouldn't expect them to look like, you know, Klingons or Andorians or anything like that. I guess we are limited to these are what actors look like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fun to think about, though. Well, thank you so much again, Mark O'Connell, for coming and uh, and joining us. It was great to talk to you. Well, I appreciated it. Thank you. And we will be back next week to talk about a couple episodes of Lower Decks. So thanks again. And um, goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.